friends, my name is May. Welcome to Lifehouse Online. We're so glad that you're joining us today for our Christmas series called Joyful and Triumphant. So get your jollies on and let's get ready for a great service. Great to be here. Great to celebrate this time of the year and as we're approaching Christmas. In fact, I checked my, uh, my chocolate advent Christmas calendar and apparently Christmas is tomorrow. I don't know if that's entirely true. People are slowly kind of getting that joke as they go. The young people are like, what's an Advent Christmas calendar? I don't know. Does anyone have Advent Christmas calendars that they, that they have or that they use? Yeah, I see some people saying yes. Last year, Jai uh, gave me one for our dogs and uh, had different dog treats every day. And so although I kind of wasn't, uh, all that diligent in making sure um, that I did it every day, they kind of got into this habit and this routine of, uh, of actually getting a dog treat every, every day in the lead up to Christmas. Because Advent, uh, we're officially in Advent now, it's sort of the four weeks uh, leading up to, uh, to Christmas, because it's important that we take the time to prepare when you're celebrating something important, maybe when friends are coming over, different things are happening, you take time to prepare, don't you? Like, there's preparation that needs to take place. And so, as we're preparing for the, the coming of Christ, not just 2,000 years ago, but in the future, but also His presence is here with us today, it's important that we take the time to prepare. And as I said... Probably some of you are already starting to prepare for Christmas Day, particularly if you've got relatives interstate that you want to give presents to. You kind of got to make sure that they're wrapped and sent. Uh, or if you're ordering online, you know, we kind of know that things aren't coming at the normal time frame that they used to. So we have to, we have to prepare in advance all these different things to make sure that when it comes to that day that we are, that we are ready. I know that there's some farmers that are probably not even here this morning because they're preparing the, the harvest. They're sort of getting things ready so that uh, they're not having to, to reap and different stuff on Christmas Day. There's other people that have their homes in flood zones or land in flood zones. And so they're preparing for this, you know wall of water that is supposedly coming towards us that may very well hit its peak on Christmas Day. <clears throat> but we kind of want to know, don't we? Are we preparing for 180 gigalitres a day? Are we preparing for 200? Are we preparing for 250? We don't really know, but how we prepare and what we're preparing for is going to drastically affect the outcome. And so what's the outcome of this Christmas going to be? How are we properly preparing ourselves for what Christmas is really all about? Because if we're just kind of preparing to be broke, busy and bloated, which is kind of what most of us end up being on Christmas Day, is that really actually Christmas? Is that really what Christ wanted it to be in the first place. So we've called this series Joyful 
and triumphant. That God's presence in our lives should change not just one day, but our whole eternity. And so we need to take time to prepare for that. So how do we prepare? I know that Belinda has said two or three times already this week, does, just doesn't feel like Christmas yet. Just doesn't, just doesn't feel like Christmas. Maybe the weather, maybe it's just that we haven't sung enough Christmas carols yet. So that's why we decided that we would start you know, our service by singing some Christmas carols. Hope, you know, get you to start to feel like it's Christmas. But I wonder what's your favourite Christmas carol. Anyone? What's, what's your favourite? Mary's Boy Child. Silent Night. Yeah, lots of different ones. I don't know if anyone's favourite one is 12 Days of Christmas. And the 12 Days of Christmas signifies that time, the 12 days is between when Jesus was born on December 25th until when, you know, the, the three wise men came from afar and uh, made it to, to Bethlehem and uh, they came and so we celebrate those 12 days. And then people even have gone through and sort of looked at what those 12 different numbers actually mean in, in the Bible, in Scripture. So if we can have those up. So they say the 12 drummers drumming are the 12 points of doctrine in the Apostles' Creed. And the 11 pipers piping is the 11 faithful apostles, because, of course, Judas betrayed him. The 10 lords leaping are the 10 commandments that we are to follow. And the, the nine ladies dancing is the nine fruits of the Spirit. The eight maids milking is the eight beatitudes that Jesus gave us. The seven swans are swimming is the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Eight geese laying is the, sorry, the six uh, geese laying is the six days of creation. Five golden rings is the five books of the Old Testament. Four calling birds are the four gospels. Three French hens is faith, hope and love, faith, hope and charity. The two turtle doves are the Old and New Testament and, of course, the single partridge in the pear tree is Jesus Christ. And doesn't that just sound wonderful? The only problem is, none of that is true. <laughs> the journey from Babylon, Iraq, to, to Bethlehem was almost 1,200 kilometers through the desert. It would have taken a lot more than 12 days to get there. Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. We kind of have all these traditions, these different things that we celebrate around Christmas time, and we think that it's preparing the way, but is it actually based on what the Scriptures actually say? Most of our Christmas traditions, the trees, the lights, the candles, the brightly coloured pointy hats, 
The bright Christmas clothes, the gift-giving, the overeating and the over-drinking, and that song, 12 Days of Christmas, are all actually part of a pagan Roman festival called Yuletide, or Saturnalia. The 12 days are 12 days of celebration that line up with the 12 signs of the zodiac. Because the date of Christmas, or the date of Yuletide, is set based on uh, the sun. It's said the, uh, the pagans and the Romans would, would track the sun moving in the sky. Every day the sun moves slightly more and more. We know that now as we're heading into December, it'll be the longest day of the year, but in the northern hemisphere, it'll be the shortest day of the year. And so as they're tracking the movement, as it starts to sort of change direction from getting shorter, in their case, to, to getting longer, the sun actually stops moving for three days. So the sun god dies for three days and then rises again in the sky. And so they would celebrate the sun god dying and rising again. But they would also track the things of the, the planets and different things. And so it's called Saturnalia because they worshipped the god Saturn. And Saturn had, we know that Saturn has these rings. And so it was said that the, the belt of Saturn is loosed at that time. And this loosening signified a, a loosening of the rules, a loosening of the restrictions, which is kind of what we do at Christmas time, don't we? We sort of, we loosen our belt just a little bit, don't we? But we celebrate all these different things. And so at that time of the year, the, often the youngest person in the family or, you know, the most mischievous, but they're kind of the same thing. Isn't that right, Belinda? You're the youngest, you're the most mischievous one in the family. Any youngest in the families here? They were nominated the chief mischief maker for 12 days. They would wear a, a pointy hat and they would do all sorts of really terrible, horrible things. And so for 12 days, chaos would reign, lawlessness would reign, starting at the beginning of the winter solstice and ending at what we now celebrate as New Year's Day. That's the 12 days of Christmas. So the, f the first century Christians didn't celebrate Christmas at all. It wasn't until 336 AD when Constantine, the emperor of Rome, he wanted to make the state religion shift from this pagan Roman following of things to a Christian one. But one of the things that he couldn't stop, one of the things that he couldn't change was this celebrating of Saturnalia, of the Yuletide. And so he decided to change the law. It was against the law back then to hold a mass after dark. Masses always had to take place in the daytime. Masses were always centered around God and who God is. And so he kind of said, 
for this one day of the year, right in the middle of this Saturnalia Yuletide festival that everybody celebrates, that we can't get them to stop celebrating, the giving, the gifts, the wearing of the the coloured pointy hat, like all of this terrible stuff that was going on, he kind of said, all right, right in the middle of this ceremony, at midnight, on the 25th of December, I'm going to allow a mass to celebrate Christ. Christ Mass. And that is how Christmas started. They simply changed the object of the celebration from the Son God to the Son of God. They kept all the traditions and all the different things the same. So have I just ruined Christmas for you? (laughs) So can we not have a tree or Santa hats or eat special food or sing carols like the 12 days of Christmas if we're a Christian? Because after all, Santa and Satan have the same letters in them. (laughs) Think about it, people. Surely something so bad, something so horrible could never be redeemed. It only deserves to be rejected. But maybe that is the true message of Christmas, isn't it? Weren't we so bad? Don't we deserve rejection? And yet we're trusting in this God, this Son of God, to be able to redeem our eternity. So surely he can also redeem a day, a day to celebrate him and who he is. If we're celebrating and we're preparing for this, our redemption day, a day that is supposed to be joyful and triumphant. And maybe some of you are new and, you know, a little bit turned off by this anti-Christmas talk, you know, coming into a church. And maybe you don't know this idea called redemption and being redeemed because it's not something that we tend to use in our everyday language. What does being redeemed, if we're preparing to, to be redeemed, what does that mean? mean we're redeeming the day but Christ is redeeming us and so I think looking at the real estate market can maybe help us make sense of some of this so at the moment in Murray Bridge we're in this real estate boom so houses are going for a lot of money and there's sort of we're at this sort of crest of this wave but soon enough Prices will probably go down, you know, progress and do different stuff. So we would kind of look at that and go, well, we know that we would want to, if we're selling a house, we would want to sell at the the peak of the boom because it means that our house is going to be redeemed for a larger amount of money. But if we're buying a house, if we're purchasing a house, we would want to buy it like at the trough of the market because it means that we can redeem a house for a less amount of money. 
But then also maybe, you know, it's hard to get into the real estate market now because of this boom that's kind of going on. And particularly for those that are young and starting out, you're sort of looking at how can I even afford to get into the market? And so I know some people that have looked at houses that have certain things wrong with them, that maybe the, there's a big electrical fault that means that people can't actually live in there. Maybe there's salt damp or there's a crack in the foundation. And so because of that, the cost of redeeming that house is even lower again. And if we think about it in those terms and then relate that to us, we were actually condemned. There's actually a crack in our soul that God says it should be uninhabitable. You shouldn't live the way that you are. You shouldn't do the things that you're, that you're doing. And so God comes to redeem us. And you might think, well, obviously he's really smart because he's, he's wanting to redeem us at the bottom of the, of the market when, when we weren't worth anything. Uninhabitable, stained with sin, cracks in our foundation. But even with that, do you know what the cost was for him? Even at the bottom of the market, even on your worst day, the cost was still so high. The cost was his very own son. That's what he gave at Christmas time to redeem us, to buy us. This is what Christmas is all about. And again, some of you might say, well, joyful and triumphant. Maybe you should have called the sermon series fearful and defeated if we are this cracked, broken, stained people, uninhabitable, a soul condemned. But no, we are joyful and triumphant because while that was our state, because of Christmas, God comes in. He moves into our heart, into our lives, and he renovates our soul. We are called born again, new creations. Everything made new because of Christmas, because we, because we have been redeemed by this master builder who designed us and created us for good things. In 1 Corinthians 10.23, Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but not all things build up, build us up into that house that God has designed us to be. Some versions say all things are um, permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Now, of course, not everything was lawful for the Jews under the Old Covenant, so this would have been a shocking revelation to people at the time because they thought, well, no, 
There's 613 unlawful things in Scripture. So not all things are lawful for us. So maybe they thought the solution was, like the pagans thought, 12 days without any rules, without any laws. Because we're under this oppression, we're under the oppression of the Romans, we're under the oppression of you know, all these different people. We're under this oppression of these 613 laws that we can never seem to follow. And so maybe once a year we just need 12 days where there's no rules and no laws and everything is loose. There's, anything is permissible. Because that's just fun, right? But Christmas is joyful and triumphant because Jesus was born as a human not to remove the laws, not to say the laws are no longer valid and you can just run wild in the streets and do all sorts of terrible things. But he came to fulfill the law on our behalf, to live as a human. Romans 8 says it like this, God has done what was impossible for the law since it was weak because of selfishness, which is what that yuletide Saturnalia thing was all about. It was all about selfishness, what we want. God condemned sin in the body by sending his own son to deal with sin in the same body as humans who were controlled by sin. Jesus does for us everything the holy law requires. The power of sin should no longer control the way we live. The Holy Spirit should control the way that we live. This is amazing. That because of Christmas, because of true Christmas, what this did for us should be cause for us to celebrate, to be joyful and triumphant. The joy of no longer being a slave to sin and death. The triumph of Christ on our behalf over sin and death. That is worth singing about. So maybe we should prepare for that. We should live our lives knowing that Christmas has already happened, that Christmas has already taken place, that God in human flesh came and lived that perfect life, not free from law, but in fulfilment of the law. So, if all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial, can we put up a Christmas tree, sing Christmas carols, give gifts, wear Santa's hats, and eat turkey? Can we? Yeah, we can. Everything is permissible. Talking in church is permissible. Agreeing with me is permissible. But maybe what I want to ask is, as we prepare for this Christmas, what's actually most beneficial 
for us. Not just this day, but every day of the year. And how am I preparing for this joyful and triumphant King of Kings and Lord of Lords to come and be with us? So, if you are diabetic and already overweight, is three serves of Christmas pudding beneficial? <laughs> no is the correct answer for that one. Maybe we won't have audience participation. No. <laughs> Is traumatising your child by sitting them on a bearded stranger's lap so that you can get a photo to put on your fridge to remember the trauma that you put your child through, is that beneficial? <laughs> oh, mate, I'm going to have to preach for really long this morning until we get the idea of what Christmas is all about. <laughs> All right, let's see how you go with this one. Is it eternally beneficial to sing songs like 12 Days of Christmas or I Saw Mummy Kissing Santa Claus? <laughs> Probably not. Good. All right, we can go on to the next one. But there are amazing Christmas songs and amazing Christmas carols and times of celebration that we can be involved with. I mean, we started this morning um, by singing, O Come, All Ye Faithful. If we have a look at some of the lyrics of that, O Come, All Ye Faithful, Joyful and Triumphant, Sing Choirs of Angels, Sing in, ex in Exaltation, Sing All Ye Citizens of Heaven Above. When you sang that, did you realise that you're a citizen of heaven? Did you... Did you sing that in that joyful and triumphant way, knowing that you are a citizen of heaven because of Christmas? Because Jesus came to earth, you now get to be a citizen of heaven. That is amazing. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, O come, let us adore him. And that is what we are going to do Christmas Day, but it's what we do every day. We come, we gather together to adore him. Because he is worthy. He is worthy of Christmas Day. He is worthy of celebrating. He is worthy of singing about, of shouting about, of thanking him for who he is and what he has done. We come as citizens of heaven to adore him. Not for God's ego, but to kind of help ours. As we remember, we don't have to work hard and get everything right to try and get glory. But in actual fact, the purpose of Christmas, the purpose of following after God is that God is already perfect. He's already lived this perfect life and we get to give him glory, the glory that he deserves. All right. We're going to play 
part of another Christmas carol. Feel free to sing along if you want to. Uh, but yeah, we're just going to sing one verse of a Christmas carol on the screen. So, Austin, if you can play that. None of you sang. So, like, there were no words. But you should know the words. I mean, the words are there. They're, they're important. Particularly one line in there that I want to focus in on. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Veiled in flesh. What does that mean? I mean, this song was written by a guy called Charles Wesley in 1739. And his aim with writing this was obviously to exalt God. But he understood, he understood deeply the importance of theology and practical theology. Knowing who God is and how that should forever change our lives. But he was caught in this problem because although he understood Theology, he thought, well, he's living in a time and a place where 40% of people couldn't even read at all, couldn't read a single word. So, how is he supposed to teach the importance of propitiation, eschatology, ecclesiology, substitutionary atonement, imparted and imputed righteousness, consecration, the incarnation, and a hundred other? big words that we often use in Christianity. He knew that words were important. So how do you convey the message of those things, of who God is and what he does to people that can't read theological textbooks? Music. Song. He wrote thousands of songs to try and explain who God is and what he has done and the reason that we should be joyful and triumphant. So if we can sing that line, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see this Christmas and understand it, I think that you'll be wiser than most theologians. Apart from Charles Wesley, who wrote the lyric. So I just want to unpack what that is sort of saying for a bit. Because words are important. Several people this week saw me doing some whippersnipping out 
side on the church lawns as we start to get things ready for, for Christmas festival. And can I say, a lot of people weren't impressed to see me with a power tool in my hands around the church. They were getting a bit worried. <laughs> and they were making some not very nice comments about my ability to be able to do things. And, and so they said, is this really okay that you're, that you're doing this, Pastor Josh? And I said, well, I said, uh, my normal response uh, to, this, to this statement, this question is always, I can't build things, but I can destroy things. <laughs> Whippersnipping is just destroying blades of, blades of grass, so I can do that. But in that moment, it was like the Holy Spirit stopped me and said, hang on a minute, I haven't called you to be a destroyer, I've called you to be a builder, to build futures, to build people. You're going to stand up on the platform on Sunday morning and tell the people the importance of words and how words can build and how in order to have a joyful and triumphant Christmas that they need to speak words of life, to have words of life spoken over them. And so why don't you afford yourself the same grace that you're giving to the people? And speak into your future rather than speaking destruction. Speak things that are going to build up. Because I have called you to build the house of your soul as well as everybody else's. So I can't make your life better. But by showing you the face of Jesus, he can make you better at life which is infinitely better. Because one deals with present circumstances which can change in a moment, but the other grows your character which will take with you into eternity. This will make you joyful and triumphant and this is what Charles Wesley is doing when he's writing this line to this song. When he's saying, Veiled... In flesh, the Godhead see. So still, what is he trying to communicate? Well, the old law-based covenant had a rule. We read it in Exodus 33. It said, I am the Lord, and I will show mercy and kindness to anyone I choose. The God of the Old Testament is still a loving, merciful, kind God. He said, I will let you see my glory and hear my holy name. But I won't let you see my face. Because anyone who sees my face will die. So in his mercy, he veiled Moses' face, which is who he was talking to at that time. He veiled Moses' face. He covered Moses' face in mercy so that he wouldn't die. But he still wanted him to see his glory. It was important. But then Christmas ushered in this new covenant 
a new way of relating to God. Now it was not our face that was veiled, but his. And not veiled to conceal something, not veiled to to hide something, but actually veiled to reveal something, to reveal truly who this God is. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. God allowed himself, the Godhead allowed himself to be veiled in flesh so that we could see him, so that we could look at him in the face, so that we could see him eye to eye because he knew that if we could just see him face to face, if we could look him in the eye, it would change everything. And this is the meaning of Christmas. Not eyes hidden, not eyes veiled by the Lord, not eyes of judgment or anger or condemnation, but eyes of understanding, of compassion, of love. Hebrews 4 says this, For Jesus is not some high priest who has no sympathy for our weaknesses and flaws. He has already been tested in every way that we were tested. But he emerged victorious, triumphant, without failing God. So let us step boldly to the throne of grace where we can find mercy and grace to help us when we need it most. The Godhead became veiled in flesh so he could sympathize and know exactly what it was like for us. But that also so that he could look us in the eye and invite us personally to the throne of grace. So in the manger, Mary looked into the eyes of her baby boy and she saw joy. In Bethlehem, when the shepherds looked into the eyes of the Lamb of God, they saw hope. With their gifts, when the wise men looked into the eyes of their true king, they saw peace. At night, when Nicodemus looked into the eyes of his true rabbi, he saw new life. In the crowd, when the woman with the issue of blood looked into the eyes of her great physicians, she saw healing. In the temple court, a woman caught in the act of adultery looked into the eyes of the only one who could actually judge her. She saw forgiveness. At the pool of Siloam, when the, the cripple looked into the eyes of the stranger, he saw truth. At the foot of the cross, when John looked into the eyes of his beloved friend, he saw salvation. On the shore, when Peter looked into the eyes of the one that he had abandoned, he saw redemption Christmas. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. See him. 
see him as he truly is in Christ this Christmas. I love the way that John tells the Christmas story. See, he had time to reflect. He was the last gospel that was written. It was probably written 60 years after the events of the cross. And so because he had time to prepare, he had time to prepare what he was going to say. So he doesn't just deal with the what, he deals with the why of Christmas. The what is important. The what involves the, the angels and the, the shepherds and the wise men and all of the, uh, the proclamation, the promise, the presence of God. Just as the what of your Christmas is important, turkey or ham, presents, what carols will you sing, everything is permissible. But the why is important. Knowing the why is beneficial, eternally beneficial. John tells us the why of the Christmas story in the first chapter of his gospel. He says it like this, To be a child of God has nothing to do with human parents. Children of God are not born because of human choice or because a husband wants them to be born. They are born because of what God does. The Word became a human being. He made His home with us. We have seen His glory. It is the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. And the Word was of and truth. This is the why of Christmas. So is Christmas just for children? You bet. Because the why of Christmas is so that we would all become children. Children of God, His children. The truth is this. Christmas was a pagan holiday. But grace comes first. Grace and truth. The truth is, we have missed the mark. But grace comes first. The truth is, we were condemned. But grace came first at Christmas. I love this line so much. It says that he came to make his home with us. To make his home with us, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Christmas is all about God coming home to be with us. Because there was no way that we could make it home to be with him. His presence at home makes us joyful and triumphant. Joyful over what his life means for us and triumphant 
over every stronghold that has tried to tie us down and hold us back and keep us bound. So, citizens of heaven, my choir of angels, would you stand? And we're going to come and we're going to adore him. We're going to sing of how good he is. We're going to sing of his great love for us. We're going to, we're going to sing of Jesus. This one that came to redeem us. To set us right and to welcome us home. Let's worship wasn't that a great service? There was so much good stuff in there. And if something really resonated with you and you, you want to ask some questions, then head to our website, life.house, and go to the My Response section. You can click on the little button there and then share, us, share that with us. Um, we really love that you're online because it's great that we've got this resource. But we really want to see you at church, 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings, because we just want to see you in person, get to know you, and doing things as a family is great. And one thing, families, one thing families do is do things together. So let's do life together. Okay, so see you then. Merry Christmas.